Your switch? Huh? There it is. We spent a whole week in memorial of the millennium to come, picturing that time. <coughs> now it's over, and we have the weekly Sabbath, which is a weekly reminder of the millennium to come. So we went from one closing prayer week of picturing it to another day of doing so. Anyway, we have special music today by the church choral or choir, or whatever they are, singers, uh, on eagle's wings. This is taken from Psalm 91. Thank you. 
What a great God it is who said He will do the things we just heard in spite of our record. Mankind, Israel, and then even more recently the church hasn't had a very good record. But we're here to change that. We're here to fix it the best we can <coughs> ourselves. Nobody's going to fix it unless somebody decides to fix it. It's just the way it is. So it might as well be us. And I think we're working on that. Anyway, it's a special piece of music. Reminds me of my seventh grade class. Came to school one day. This is in public school. And the teacher had five psalms, and we had to pick one and memorize it and recite it in front of the class. And Psalm 91 is the one I chose. So it has kind of a special meaning. And especially now, as we are facing the dangers we are, and some of those psalms are very, very comforting. Let's get back to the book of Deuteronomy. We came down to chapter 10. Kind of took a break from this to talk more about the millennium and the great white throne judgment yesterday, but we can get back to this. It's amazing as we read through here, Moses keeps repeating the same things in essence all the way through. His speeches were really about pretty much the same thing. Once in a while, any minister is going to get criticized for repeating same old stuff all the time. Why don't you give us something different? Well, people are pretty much the same, and people pretty much give you, if you're speaking to them, the same stuff to talk about over and over. So it's kind of a two-sided coin. Maybe I do talk about the same things a lot over and over. But God does. It's the same story from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I might just about as well be reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel as Deuteronomy, because it's essentially the same story. And uh, wherever you go, it seems that human beings simply don't like God's way. Now, you would think, given all the things that God did for them, bringing them free from slavery in the Red Sea and the manna and the quail and uh, deliverance from enemies and on and on and on it goes where a God of love kept with them, stayed with them in spite of their sins and transgressions and not caring that much about Him or not at all in some cases. How does He just keep on? Well, look at our children. You would think that since we give them a warm bed to sleep in, we give them food three times and more a day, 
we take care of them very well, keep them closed so they're not too hot, not too cold. We just do everything we can to make our children comfortable and happy. And you would think that they would be so thankful for everything we do for them that they would just be so happy to obey us and do as we ask and never rebel because they got it good. They really do. But you know what? They don't think about those things much. Once in a great while, maybe. But they don't think about it very much. They just expect it. And I know you'll take care of me. And I don't even, for the most part, unless you treat me carefully, eat to say thank you or please. Uh, they'll ignore that entirely unless you coach them and coach them and coach them to be thankful and grateful and to ask for something instead of demand it. But that's the way humans are. And you would think, with all the blessings God has given us and the promises of protection and help and food and water and wine and milk and all the things He's promised us that He's going to do for us here shortly, you'd think we could just be in an ever-always thankful, grateful mood, uh, be responsive to everything He says and just do it. Every word of God, that's no big deal, I'll just do it. Uh, that'll please Him, and He'll bless us, and everything will be fine. And that's a true story. But boy, do we find ways to be ungrateful and unthankful and in bad attitudes and selfish attitudes, and on and on it goes. You know, God says, I'm going to give you all this stuff. All I ask is that you give me a tithe in return. And boy, that's a big problem for some people. Huge problem for a lot of people. Because they're greedy. They're selfish. They don't want to give back even though they're giving right back to the source who gave it to them. I heard about somebody just yesterday in some communications, not in the church, kind of grew up in the church, but, but they don't want to know about what's going on, don't care, uh, they live their life the way they want to and it'll be fine and don't bug me about it or try to get me to do anything and I'm not going to support some organization's uh, financial needs. Just Bam, here's the way it is with me. But we should be so thankful for what He does give us. The giving some back to Him ought to be really a joy. God loves a cheerful giver. But if He gives to us, we're supposed to give back to Him. He'll get into that here in a couple, three chapters. But I was just on my mind having uh, heard what I heard about somebody's adamant, they're just not going to join an organization and support it. They'll just do their thing. And there are a lot of people like that. Where did this earth come from? Man, he gave us something nice. We should be 
giving him our entire attention. Our whole focus should be on God who prepared for us, created for us this beautiful orb we live on, and everything on it that's good. You'd think we'd just be automatically thankful and grateful, but it's not the way humans are. You have to coach yourself. <laughs> How perverse we are. And a lot of that Satan working on us, too, because he was selfish and ungrateful. Anyway, let's get into chapter 10. At that time, the Eternal said to me, this is the time when he had come down and thrown the Ten Commandments on the ground and broke the stones. Hew you two tables of stone like the first, and come up to me in the mountain and make you an ark of wood. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables, which you broke, and shall put them in the ark. I don't think he took any stones up with him the first time, did he? I don't remember that. God took stones and wrote on them. But since he came down and threw them on the ground and broke them, he had to gather up some more stones. Uh, you broke it. All right. Give me some more. Now, God could easily have gotten some more stones, but he wanted Moses to learn from that. I understand why Moses did that, because they had agreed that anything God says, we'll do. And he comes down, and they were doing everything but God's way. Frustrating. Then he goes on to recount what happened. And I made an ark of shittim wood and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first and went up into the mount having the two tables in my hand. And he wrote on the tables according to the first writing the Ten Commandments which the Eternal spoke to you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly and the Eternal gave them to me. And I turned myself and came down from the mountain and put the tables in the ark which I had made. And there they be, as the Eternal commanded me. So they still had them there. And he was going back and telling the story. <coughs> and the children of Israel took their journey from <coughs> Beeroth, of the children of Jaakim, to Moserah. There Aaron died, and there he was buried. Uh, and Eliezer, his son, ministered in the priest's office in his stead. <clears throat> From there they journeyed on to a land of rivers of waters. So it wasn't all wilderness uh, out there. Rivers of waters they journeyed through and to. At that time, the Eternal separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Eternal, to stand before the Eternal, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. They still were. Wherefore, Levi has no part nor inheritance with his brethren. The Eternal is his inheritance according as the Eternal your God promised him. So the others would inherit land and be assigned a certain area when they got into the promised land, but the Levites uh, were not given that kind of an inheritance. Uh, they were in a position where God worked with them personally and gave them what they needed. And in fact, he caused 
all Israel to tithe to the tribe of Levi. So they could essentially put their efforts into uh, administering the things that God had put on them. And there were a lot of them. Uh, all those animal sacrifices and everything that they had to do to administer uh, the statutes and judgments of God. So they didn't have to farm or whatever. Once they got there, they lived off of the tithe that God caused all Israel to give, and that was their inheritance. Okay. Um, and I stayed in the mount, verse 10, according to the first time, forty days and forty nights. And the Eternal hearkened to me at that time also, and the Eternal would not destroy you. He pled for Israel after having gone down and seen them with their golden calf and uh, doing everything but keeping the laws of God. It doesn't take 40 days and 40 nights for God to write Ten Commandments. You can write them out easily in five minutes. But Moses was there with God, talking to God and pleading for the people that God wouldn't lose his temper and just, just destroy them. So, another 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And the Eternal said to me, Arise, take your journey before the people, that you may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. And now, Israel, what does the eternal your God require of you? We're going to go on. We're going to move forward. What does God require? That's always a good question to ask. You go to a Protestant church and they'll tell you it doesn't require anything. Just accept the name of Jesus and you're saved. Live any way you want to, but you're saved. You can't miss out. What does God require but to fear the Eternal, your God, to walk in all His ways and to love Him and to serve the Eternal, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul? That's really all He requires in one verse. And that includes, then, to keep the commandments of the Eternal and His statutes, which I command you this day, for your good. Nothing evil or negative or bad about the Ten Commandments. Uh, they say, thou shalt not several times, but that's for your good. Here's, an, here's something you don't do because it will be harmful to you. And if you refrain from doing it, you'll do better, you'll feel better, life will go better. So they're not negative at all, even though some people try to say they are. Why? Because people want to do those things he says don't do. That's why it's negative to them. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's your God, the earth also, with all that therein is. He reminds them that everything comes from God. And we see in the New Testament, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Quoted there. 
Only the Eternal had a delight in your fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Just comply. God says, look right, look right. If he says, look left, look left. Don't be stiff-necked. So here we get down even to the spiritual application of something. He's not saying circumcise physically, but circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that deceitfulness and lying and hate and selfishness needs to be cut away so that your heart is toward God and toward each other instead of toward self. So it's symbolic of the physical circumcision, only this is the heart that we have to fix. For the eternal your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty, and a terrible, which regards not persons nor takes reward. You can't bribe him. Uh, you either do what he says, or there's trouble. He does execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger in giving him food and raiment. So he didn't make it exclusive. There could be strangers that came among them, and Israel was there to feed them, take care of them as strangers. Love you, therefore, the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Mithraim. So return the good that God did to you to strangers. You were one, uh, so take care of those as they have need. You shall fear the eternal your God. Him shall you serve, and to him shall you cleave, and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is your God that has done for you these great and terrible things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down into Egypt with seventy people, and now the eternal your God has made you as the stars of heaven for multitude. You've been blessed. You've been taken care of. How many times does he need to repeat this? He just says it over and over and over again. To the point, maybe we get bored listening to it. I don't know. But there it is. He, he used precious pages in the Holy Word of God to repeat these things over and over. Why? Because they kept doing the same stuff over and over. And therefore, had to be reminded time after time, chastened, punished, cursed, plagued, all things... All kinds of things happened to them because they were stubborn and stiff-necked and wanted to do things their way. At some point, a human being has to just give up and say, I'm going to do it your way. Uh, why not? It's easier to do it your way than God's way, but it doesn't turn out as good. So it ought to be worth a little extra effort to do it his way. But you've got to get the heart and the mind straight in order to even attempt to do that. If that isn't fixed, 
through repentance and uh, subjection, then you're not going to be able to do it. You'll just keep fighting it. So you have to surrender. We're supposed to do that before we're baptized, is surrender. And say, I'll do it your way, and then follow through with the help of His Spirit. But it's hard for us to do a total surrender. Chapter 11, then. Therefore you shall love the Eternal your God, and keep His charge and His statutes and His judgments and His commandments always. Didn't we just read that <laughs> at the beginning of the last chapter? And know you this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known, and which have not seen the chastisement of the Eternal your God, His greatness, His mighty hand, and His stretched out arm, and His miracles, and His acts, which He did in the midst of Mitzrayim, to Pharaoh the king, and to all his land. All those plagues came on Egypt just for the benefit of Israel. Boy, when God knows how to do something, He knows how to do it right. And He had those, He he absolutely destroyed the empire of Egypt there in a very short while. And His miracles and His acts which He did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Eternal has destroyed them to this day. They never really recovered from it uh, as a people. And then he goes on. What he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possessions in the midst of all Israel. Just opened the ground, they fell in, and it slammed shut. That was the end of them. So God deals with rebellion pretty strongly sometimes, and He is going to again. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Eternal which He did. Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong, and go in and possess the land where you go to possess it. Now, he was on the verge of blessing the New Testament church in amazing ways. And Ananias and Sapphira decided, well... We need to keep some of this. We can't turn it all in. Uh, that wouldn't be good for us. And they got struck dead. They even got a chance to repent of it and say, Oh, wait a minute. I was being selfish. Forgive me. And then turn in the rest. They didn't do that. They held to their lie and they got drug out by the feet. God is no one to trifle with. He's Love, he's kindness, he's gentleness, he's all those things, but he's also a jealous God. And he cares about his people, and he's not going to let anyone misuse and abuse them beyond a certain point, and they get drug out. 
Verse 9, And that you may prolong your days in the land which the Eternal swore to your fathers to give them, and to their seed, a land that flows with milk and honey, and everything that goes in order to produce milk and honey. For the land where you go in to possess it is not as the land of Mitzrayim from whence you came out, where you sowed your seed and watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. In other words, irrigation. But the land where you go to possess is a land of hills and valleys and drinks water of the rain of heaven. You don't have to irrigate it. you got rain. Now, there are many parts of this country that are that way. Uh, but there are also some pretty dry areas where you still have to irrigate until God changes it. A land which the eternal your God cares for. The eyes of the eternal your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even to the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently to my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the eternal your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your corn and your wine and your oil. Well, that was a promise he made for obedience. The book of Joel repeats that. Uh, Joel is entirely an end-time book. And he says that in the first month he'll give the former and the latter rain. I assume that means in the first month of God's year, the year he decides to do this. It's going to be such a blessing, and it's going to change so much. It says the desert will blossom as a rose. Now, I have a few rose plants, and I, I still have to water them. They don't just blossom from the rain. They need help. And virtually everything around here does, except maybe the cottonwood trees, and they grow better if you water them. But this is still a desert and a wilderness. And I've said before, God could have given us an area of this country that has the rain. He could have given us a land that was full of trees, uh, forests, springs, rivers. I've used the Willamette Valley of Oregon as an example. Just just beautiful. The orchards produce, the land produces, the trees are there, the waters, the, there's creeks and rivers everywhere coming off the cascades and down through the valley. He could have given us all of that. Not just 110 acres out in a barren and dry land. So why did he give us this? Partly a test of faith. Partly to show what a great God he is. Because if this land right here in this whole area in southern Utah, northern Arizona, turns into that kind of place, like the Garden of Eden, it will be obvious that it was God Almighty who did it, not somebody with a new way to build greenhouses or whatever, so to speak. God has to turn it into a rose garden, and everything else that goes with that.
and he will. And there will be a testimony to the whole world that this arid, dry area out here is suddenly blooming in a land of milk and honey. Now, we're offered the same thing they were. Where we started was stiff-necked, uncircumcised of the heart, sinful, part of this society around us, just doing what they're doing for the most part. And God called us out and told us, no, this is the way, walk in it. And we're struggling to stay on the path. But we know that if we stay on the path, all these blessings he's talking about here, and in all the prophecies, are going to come our way. It just, it's inevitable. It has to. He said it will. And if God speaks, then we need to believe it. Now, it sounds weird to anybody out in the world that we would talk this way about southern Utah and northern Arizona. <laughs> sounds weird. That's okay. God spoke it. Therefore, it's not weird. The ones who ridicule it are weird. Believe God. Believe what He says. And if people think you're nuts, that's okay. Actually, I kind of like nuts. At least off the tree kind of nuts. But you're nuts too, and I kind of like you. So, you know, there you go. But we are held in deep disrespect by the majority of the church, perhaps almost all of it that know of us and know where we are. They think this is absolutely crazy that we would be here. But I see it in the book. And when I see it in the book, I know it's going to happen. And it doesn't matter what they think of us doesn't matter at all. Verse 15, And I will send grass in the fields for your cattle. doesn't say anything about us planting grass. He says he will send grass that they may eat and be full. says Jerusalem will be villages or towns without walls and much men and cattle there, Zechariah 2. says it back here. <clears throat> Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived <clears throat> and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the Eternal's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up, he will shut up the heavens that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit unless you perish quickly from off the good land which the Eternal gives you. So they were going to go into a land with huge grapes and bounteous fruit and all kinds of good things, but if they disobeyed God, it would all be taken away. Therefore shall you lay up these words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Never get your eyes off of what God promises. Frontlets for your eyes. Blinders, if you will. We put blinders on horses so they can't see to the side. And that way they can work and go straight. 
So he wants us to look straight ahead at the things that he has promised, what he plans to do, and be sure that we keep ourselves focused on what is ahead. Real easy to get sidetracked. Not only that, then, you shall teach them, your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. That means wherever you go, whatever you do, you're constantly reminding your children of God's way. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I don't know how old he has to get, but some of our kids are pretty old and they've still departed. But they have that in the backs of their minds. And maybe when these things all begin to happen, they'll wake up. I hope so. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. He's re- he said that earlier. That your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the eternal swore to your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the eternal, your God, to walk in all his ways and to cleave to him, then will the eternal drive out all these nations from before you and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the uttermost sea, shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, For the eternal your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon, as he has said to you. That's a pretty big promise right there. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the eternal your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. When God confronted Israel with this kind of choice, they almost invariably said, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll obey you. We want a blessing. We don't want cursing. So they would give him lip service and say, oh yeah, we'll do that. And then as soon as the speech was over, and as soon as they had made the agreement to obey, they turned around and disobeyed. It didn't mean anything. It was their lips, not their hearts. It's easy to say yes and have your heart go a different direction. It's really easy to do that. And we have it over and over here. And it shall come to pass when the eternal your God has brought you into the land where you go to possess it, that you shall put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side, Jordan, by the way where the sun goes down to the west, in the land of the Canaanites, which dwell in the 
Champagne over against Gilgal beside the plains of Mora. I don't know where those places are right now. We'll find out soon. For you shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the eternal your God gives you, and ye shall possess it and dwell therein. And you shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. So they've been given the Ten Commandments again, and they have these warnings and these promises again, and again, and again. Shall we go on today and hear it again? (laughs) Or shall we just stop early today? God says, if we'll obey and serve Him and not be stiff-necked, He'll bless us. And it might be a blessing after nine days not to have to sit here the whole time. You've been attentive. You've been helpful. You've had wonderful attitudes, as far as I know. And things have gone well. So I think you deserve a break today. Ah, don't go to McDonald's. Okay. Thank you for a wonderful feast. Thank you for all you've done. And thank you for adhering to the words of God and being willing to listen to them over and over and over again and work at keeping them because in it you shall be blessed.